0: Good. Well, it's good to be able to share with you. Nice to see you. You're all a long way away, aren't you? Do you know we'd put £10 notes on all the front rows as well? So you've missed out on that. But it's good to see you all. And uh, even if I need binoculars to see most of you. I've been asked this morning really to share my story as to how I became a Christian and uh, my life story. So that's what I'll do. Um, I was very conscious when we were singing there that uh, when the Apostle Paul gave his testimony, which he did four times in the book of Acts, or it's recorded four times, there was usually a riot that broke out at the end. So uh, who knows what might happen? But I've got to share my story of how it is I came to faith. Now, in some ways, it would fit in because... Um, I've brought some books that I'm going to mention. It would fit in to have those at the very end, but I don't want them to be the sort of um, climax of what I'm saying. So I'm going to mention them now, and then you'll see how it all relates later on. Um, I work as a traveling Christian preacher, and uh, I like to not only get the word out by the spoken word, but through the written word. So I've always got some books or booklets or leaflets or something with me. So I've brought a few. Don't misunderstand, this is not a Tupperware party. You don't have to buy anything. And I don't make any money on any of the books or booklets. It's, I, I have a very strict rule that whatever I pay for them is what I sell them for just so that I can replenish them later on. Otherwise, I couldn't keep doing it. So I, there's nothing commercial about it. It's just trying to get out some, some good stuff. So let me show you what I've brought And uh, you might have a look. First of all, some some tracks. I had a load for Remembrance Day, but I ran out yesterday, I'm afraid. Um, (laughs) I might bring a few tonight if I can. But uh, um, Christmas tracks, there are plenty of those, and there are different titles, and I'll put some other ones. Suddenly remembered I've got some other things in the back of the car, so I'll put those out as well. So something like this, this is the Royal Speech, but there are various other ones. If you're sending out Christmas cards, why not put a gospel tract in as well? And then, actually, you might... Send out a few more cards to your neighbours that maybe you wouldn't send a card to, but if you put a tract in, it'd be worth it, wouldn't it? So, uh, think in terms of getting some gospel tracts You can take those. They cost me if you want to buy a bundle. They cost me five p each, but I really don't mind you just taking them and using them. And then this week, of course, is a very, very big week in um, coming up to Remembrance Sunday because of the one hundredth anniversary of the cessation of war in the First World War, and um, it is. It's right to remember the sacrifice of of those who laid down their lives in the First and Second War and subsequent wars. Um, brand new little booklet called, well it's a nice little book, um, We Will Remember Them. And it's just a testimony, it's a story if you want, of one current soldier, Gavin Dickinson, who has fought in Iraq and Afghanistan, but really was a wild sort of guy. And then it's his story as to how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And it's a lovely cover, very easy to read and easy to pass on. Um, They cost a pound, but I think a pound's a lot for that, don't you? So I'll tell you what I'm going to do today. If you buy one, I'll give you another one free so that you can give it away. Now, that's not bad. Oh, you're a miserable lot. Do you know, I I almost want to say if you buy two, I'll give you one. You're so miserable. But anyway, no, no. Uh, buy one, I'll give you one free, and then... I'm going to do the same with this. So I can't, as it happens, mix them. I'll explain if you want to know later. Um, Are you ready for Christmas? It's only 50 days to Christmas. 50 sleeps to Christmas. And if you're an insomniac, that's even less. And so Christmas is nearly here. But Christmas, as we heard earlier, is a wonderful opportunity for us to talk about the Lord Jesus and to share uh, faith in him. Now, time and again, you often, especially the ladies, get asked, don't they, are you ready for Christmas? And um, uh, the men basically would reply, yes, I'm ready to gorge myself on a wonderful Christmas dinner. But the ladies apparently put in a bit more work, so I'm told. And uh, anyway, are you ready for Christmas? This is the Christian message explained through the Christmas message. And again, very, very easy to give away. And again, one pound, but buy one and I'll give you one free. That's not bad, is it? Oh, honestly. Anyway, right. I do a bit of writing, as some of you know. My latest book, which actually I wrote oh a long time ago but it's been revised it's called why i believe and um it's it's got how many chapters it's got about nine chapters i think yes on why i believe the bible is the word of god why i believe jesus is the son of god why i believe the devil is the enemy of god nine chapters like that and um um, it's very easy to give away it's written to give to non-christian friends and again just one pound okay and then um, I've got some children's books, lots of these. This is one. Shh. So, oh, there we are. Um, Don't Wake the Baby. Um, but there are lots of them. They're all Christmas books for children, and they're all just a pound each. Have a look. And again, wonderful opportunity to, to give away stuff. And then... Just one other book. I'm sorry, this one's a little bit dearer. It should be, I think it's supposed to be £8.99, but I get them for £3. I love biography. I'm always reading biographies. and um, uh, I don't know how many I've read, but it's a few hundred in my life. But the best one I have ever read is this one this book is totally unputdownable if you get to page six or eight you will not go to sleep till you've finished if you start reading this afternoon you'll come this evening and you'll read it through the sermon your just totally gripping and it's, it's such a page turner Billy Graham's wife said on the back of this try this and see if you can put it down there is no way you can it's the story of this lady darlene dibler rose who gets married and a few weeks after their marriage goes out to the dutch east indies six weeks later the japanese invade and i don't want to spoil what happens but it is very powerful it's very spiritual it's very gripping i just recommend it look even if you're illiterate If you start this, it'll grip you. It's an amazing, amazing book. And it's a great Christmas present to pass on to others as well. All right. Now, um, one of the things I had published maybe about a year ago was a copy of my autobiography. Doesn't that sound grand? so today I'd like to give you all free of charge a copy of my autobiography so if you want to just sleep now you've got you're going to get it all anyway I'll show you it don't get too excited it's only a leaflet and (laughs) it's my testimony in tract form but um, there's a very cute picture of me when I was a little boy and etc and uh, anyway I'd love to give you one of those at the end as well but let's first of all read the scriptures shall we Psalm 32 if you want to turn in your Bibles if you go a Bible and open it in the middle, that should be the book of Psalms, and I want to just read Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you. In a time when you may be heard, surely in in a flood of great waters they shall not come near me. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surrender me with songs of deliverance. You'll notice that the word selah is there. That's the third time it comes. It really just means pause and think about it. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bits and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Well, a little bit of my background, um. It's an unusual background in many ways. Born and bred in Yorkshire, and uh, I think most of you know I'm a very proud Yorkshireman and I always like to drop in everywhere, the fact I come from Yorkshire. But actually, though my father was born in East Yorkshire, in Howden. Um, my mother wasn't. My mother was half Greek and half Armenian. Now, in 1915, there was the first 20th century genocide and it was against the Armenians. In six months, one and a half million of them died. were were killed um if you want to watch a, a brilliant dvd on that or film the promise is very very gripping indeed and fairly new and but it's a great film anyway my grandfather whom i never met was an evangelist in the middle east and i've read his biography he was amazingly used as a gospel preacher um hundreds of people were converted through him he saw many muslims in turkey coming to faith in jesus christ he established churches in fact from what i understand he established 33 different churches in southern syria and northern lebanon so he, he was amazingly used but he died in 1945 he was he was he was bitten by a mosquito and died 18 hours later um, but uh, that's the sort of background but As I said, in 1915 there was a genocide against the Armenians and uh, my grandfather and grandmother and their new son, my uncle, um, fled as refugees out of Turkey towards Syria. And uh, they took with them apparently just a Bible and a hatchet. The reason my grandfather took a hatchet was he was convinced his Little baby boy would die and he wanted to give him a decent Christian burial. But he survived and uh, he became quite influential in my life in that he eventually became a doctor and started a Christian hospital in the Lebanon. But that will come on to that shortly. My mother then was born in Aleppo, which of course today is Syria. In those days it was the Ottoman Empire. She was born in a refugee camp in Aleppo which makes all that we see on television these days certainly become very very emotive as far as I'm concerned but eventually they moved they settled in the Lebanon and there as I said my uncle established this Christian hospital which gave free treatment to anybody and everybody but they would share with them the Lord Jesus Christ my mother met my father during the Second World War. I always said about my dad that he was supposed to be fighting out there, but he, clearly he was flirting, and uh, he, he met my mum, and um, they, they came back and settled in Leeds, and in 1950, whew, I was just born the right side of the divide, so I was born in the latter half of the 20th century. In 1950, I arrived on the scene. Um, When I was 14, my mother told me I was an accident. But there we are, not as far as God was concerned, I'm sure. But uh, I grew up in Horsforth. Uh, It's my home, uh, in a very ordinary sort of home. Um, Very loving. In in fact, incredibly loving. I never heard my parents argue. I wish my children could say that about their parents but anyway there we are I never heard my parents argued they loved each other deeply and uh, they were just a very very devoted ordinary sort of couple but they were Christians they they went along to a little Methodist chapel which has subsequently enclosed and been demolished but they went along and I was taken along it wasn't big there were just a dozen or so in the congregation and um I think I was the youngest, and my older brother was the next youngest, and then my parents were the next youngest, and that was a third of the congregation. You've got the idea. This little Methodist chapel, and we'd go along three times on a Sunday because there was Sunday school in the afternoon, and in some ways, I suppose, you know. no, no problems with that at all. But until I got to the age of 12. By the time you get to 12, you know everything, don't you? And I, I was sufficiently informed that I felt church was boring. And my parents didn't force me to go. They encouraged me to go. But I stopped going. I went to one or two other churches in the area. I just toddled along and uh, sat and listened, etc. But in the end, I'd stopped going. But I did want to know. And I was in a boys grammar school very good school and uh, we would talk about things we'd discuss whether there's a god and in those days those of you who are my sort of age will remember this every so often um, there'd be sirens at 11 o'clock all across the nation and they were testing the nation's sirens they called it the four minute warning and it was if, if, if Russia bombed Britain, we would be given four minutes. So we would discuss what we would do in those four minutes. Well, we were teenage boys, and my boys' grammar school was in the same grounds as a girls' grammar school. And never the twain could meet, but we were going to in those four minutes. Anyway, and, and so we discussed all these things, you know, and, and what happens when you die, and is there a God, and et cetera. When I was 15, um, we'd been on holiday, as it happens, we'd been to Norway, we'd had a wonderful family holiday, and I I can still remember, I've never been back, but I've always felt, oh, I'd love to go back sometime, but it'll never happen. But anyway, we'd been on holiday, and it was summer holidays, I was just lazy in bed one morning, and my mother came up and said, Roger, um, we've got a ticket for you to go and have a holiday in the Lebanon and stay with your relatives. I'd been before with the family, but this time I flew by myself and uh, went via Zagreb, which was in those days in Yugoslavia, where I was arrested for not having a passport. This was little 15-year-old me escorted off with an armed guard and put in a cell that you can imagine. But anyway, it cut a long, long, long story short, eventually I was released and got to, got to the Lebanon. And I had this most amazing holiday and uh, I'd got 11 cousins living there, and we were all staying up in a village called Shimlan. Now, none of you will have ever heard of Shimlan, but um, it was just up in the mountains, and there was an orphanage that was being sold, and until it was sold, my folks could use it in the summer. So there were tennis courts, and there was baseball, and we played cricket and croquet, and it was, just, it was totally idyllic. Now I would never have heard the word Shimlan um, again except about 18 months ago I was watching a late night documentary about the double agent George Blake. And it simply said, he went to a place called Shimlan in the Lebanon for further spying training. And I thought, no, I can't believe that. It was only a hamlet. So I got in touch with my cousins and said, oh, yes, they did use to train spies there. So there we are. That's where I, I, I'd gone on holiday. But I was five years after George Blake, apparently. So we never met. And, um, uh, but I had this amazing holiday. But they were very, very devoted Christians. We went to church, I was happy with that. We went to an, a, a, an American Baptist church in in Beirut and uh, enjoyed it. And uh, I can still remember one of the lessons that was being taught then. And, and, and yet every morning they would read the Bible and they would pray as a family and we'd have um, uh, Bible memorization. Now actually reading the Bible and praying Breakfast wasn't unusual for, for me because my parents used to do that with us before we went off to school. They would read the Bible and pray, and then we'd go off. and So it wasn't unusual. But I don't know. There was a, something a little bit more about this. And uh, uh, if we went off touring, my uncles would always talk to whoever it was about Jesus, about the guide to the guides, and they explain the gospel. and And I was listening in as a fifteen inquisitive fifteen year old. And then one day, my uncle, not the one who was the doctor, but this one was a minister. His name was the Reverend Hagop Saharian. How's that for a name? All Armenian names end in I-A-N, which means um, son of. Um, so I think there's a famous actress whose name ends in I-A-N, isn't there? I think you do. I'll let you think about that. Okay, right. Um, have you heard of, well, I'll tell you, who is it, Kim? There we are. <laughs> all right, so that's an Armenian name. Anyway, there we are. Uh, so they all end in IAN, which means son of. Well, um, Hagop Saharian, who was, who, was, who was old, he was about 40. Can you imagine being 40? And he said he wanted to have a game of tennis with me. Well, he was too old to play tennis. You know, you should have hung up your boots long ago at that stage, shouldn't you? But, but anyway, he said he'd like to play tennis. Well, I love tennis. I was a member of a tennis club. And um, I think I beat him at tennis, bless him but he was really building a bridge to get alongside me, that, that was the point and after the game of tennis we were walking back, so you've got to picture it. it's in the mountains of the Lebanon it, just, it is absolutely beautiful, overlooking the blue Mediterranean Sea and he began to talk to me about the Lord and about Jesus and clearly I was open to talk so eventually we went to a spot which is so sacred in my memory, where there were A few sort of logs, and they used to have barbecues there. It was a little clearing in the woods. And we sat down, and he pulled out his little pocket New Testament, and he began to show me from the Bible what it means to be a Christian. He went to the book of Romans, and he showed me verses. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, I knew I was a sinner. I, I didn't need, I don't think I realised the seriousness of it. But I was always the type at school who was, you know, if, if they wanted to do something naughty, they'd always say, Carswell, dare you to do this. And I would. And why was I always the one getting into trouble? But I was a mischief maker. And uh, that was it. So at school, I, yeah, I wasn't the person I should be. But because I was small, my language wasn't good. I was trying to prove that I'm big, you see. And then at home, my attitude to my parents wasn't great. And then. I was neglecting God. I knew I'd sinned. And then Romans 6 verse 23. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And he explained that sin is serious. It leads to hell. Cut off from God in life. But cut off from God in eternity. Hell is far worse. And I didn't have any problem believing that at all. And then Romans Chapter 5, but God commended his love toward us, showed, demonstrated his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he explained to me how Jesus, when he was on the cross, had taken my sin on himself. Not just my sin, but the sin of the world. God scooped up and laid on Jesus. He'd never done wrong. But my sin laid on him. I had never understood that before. That my sin was paid for by Christ because he loved me. He died for me. And my, yeah, just a teenage mind, okay, it may not be the greatest thought in all the world. But my thought was, if Jesus loved me enough to die for me, I should trust him. And he went on to explain, showed me again, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he asked me point blank, and I'd love to ask all of you the same question. He turned to me and he said, Roger, have you ever come to a time in your life where you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you and live within you? And I knew the answer. I said, well, no. And he said, well, Roger, would you like to? And I said, yes, I would. Now, the trouble was, I was a mischief maker. I was always playing tricks. I was always messing around. And I think my uncle just thought, oh, Roger's pulling on my leg again. You know, he's, he's playing tricks. So then he sort of tried to put me off. He said, look, Roger, it can be very difficult to be a Christian. Jesus said, if anyone will follow me, he must take up his cross daily, die himself and, and follow me. And it, it seemed as though he was saying it can be hard at school and da-da, et cetera. But I thought, no, if he loved me enough to die for me, The least I can do is ask him to become my Lord and Saviour. So, age 15, August 25th, 1965, about five to midday, I remember it exactly, sitting on that log, my uncle prayed with me. He prayed a sentence and I repeated it out loud. And I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me And come and live within me and become my Lord and Savior. I'm going to end what I have to say today by praying that prayer. And I'm going to invite you to do just what I did. Because that morning, I asked Christ to take over my life and become my Lord and Savior. Now, I didn't feel any great emotion. There was no thunderbolt. There was no emotion rising up within me. But do you know what happened over the next two or three days? I had nine more days in the Lebanon. But the next two or three days... I found for the first time I began to want to read the Bible. And I began to want to pray. I'd prayed, of course. You, you, you know, you're in a dentist's chair and you pray, oh, God, don't let it hurt. And you're doing an exam and you pray, God, you know I haven't revised, but could you just get me through this anyway? God never seemed to answer those prayers, but I prayed them anyway. And, uh, but now, it wasn't just an emergency ripcord. Now. I found I wanted to pray and then for the next few days my uncle met with me every day and he just gave me some tips about living for Jesus and I remember him saying now when you get back to school you need to you need to tell your friends about Christ well my partner in mischief at school was John Fozard. and I thought oh I could never tell John Fozard. he would laugh and like and he did but the strange thing is you see I found I wanted to tell him Once in a while, I've no idea whether he's still alive or not, but I still pray for John Fozard that God would speak to him. And um, there was a distance, and it it hurt. You know, he wasn't really interested. Now I began to take the things of God seriously. Well, I came back to England, and... um it wasn't easy, right from the word go. Do you know there'd been a fire at Leeds Bradford Airport? So when I landed, there were no, pho- of course, there were no mobile phones in those days. You couldn't phone, couldn't phone my parents and say I've arrived. So I walked from there home. I remember carrying my bags and- anyway, and I was really miserable. But that was the beginning. Went back to school and found I did want to tell my friends, and not only them but the teachers as well, about Jesus. I knew nothing. Except that God loved me and Jesus died for me and He'd forgiven me. And I was glad I was a Christian. I started to read the Bible and pray. I don't know how much I understood. I don't know how much made sense, but I wanted to do that. So I had to pray for my brother and other things. And then there was no Christian union at school. So I thought, right, I'll start a Christian union. And, you know, it went really well. We used to get crowds. And, uh, but I had really no idea. But then, um, because I was running this Christian uni- union at school, um, something came in the post the, the school, and it was passed on to me and It was an invitation again, those of you who are older will remember this. it was an invitation to a fact and faith film. There were Christian films that had being shown in Leeds, and it was put on by leed 's Young life. I was going back to that little Methodist church. To be honest, the minister wasn't helpful. He said, forget this nonsense about being converted. That's what he said. And uh, he was no help. But I kept going there, and I wasn't really growing spiritually, I don't think. But I got this invitation to this this film. So one Friday night, I went down to to Leeds, and um, they showed this film. And then a guy called Trevor Knight, some of you know the name Trevor Knight, um, stood up and he spoke. And I thought, "Oh, he's a good speaker. And um, so I went up to him afterwards and said, I run a Christian union at my school. Would you come and speak? So he said, well, I can't get there quickly because I teach in in Huddersfield, which he did in those days. Anyway, we arranged that he would come. And we had this after-school meeting, and uh, he spoke on Can We Believe the Bible? And I got a friend of mine. I can still remember him as well, an atheist. And he came along, and he was interested. And Trevor Knight wrote to him, and he included an invitation to the regular Young Life meeting in Headingley. And um, this, ch- this this boy got the letter and he brought it in and everybody laughed at him. And he ripped up the invitation and threw it in the bin. And I went to the bin and picked up the pieces. And I thought, oh well, wow, there's a Christian meeting for young people in Leeds. So the next Friday I went. And that's when my Christian life began to develop they had this fellowship meeting 120 teenagers every week and there was a good Bible talk every week then on Saturday there was a Bible study and a prayer meeting and an open air meeting where they were preaching the gospel in the open air for teenagers I began to go to that then there was a Tuesday open air meeting and a Thursday open air meeting I started to go to and suddenly I just longed for the weekend when I'd have this teaching and then church on Sunday, and it began to grow spiritually. Well, that's a long time ago. Um, I went to university. By this time, I was sort of fired up with sharing the, uh, the gospel. So what was the first thing I did at university? Well, I went down to a local hardware shop, bought some wood and a saw and some nails, and I built a little wooden soapbox, a sort of crate, And every Friday and Saturday night, I used to go into the center of Southampton and put this up and preach to people... look back at old oh, Roger, but anyway, that's what I used to do and you have your 21st birthday of course nowadays it's the 18th but in those days it was a 21st birthday I thought, what would I really love to do on my 21st birthday, I thought mm, I know what I'd love to do, I'd love to go to Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park and so I went on the train, took my soapbox and I preached all day <laughs> and, and this was me okay, by this time um, I'd met a girl at uh, I was going out with. We got married um, when she went when we were twenty-two, and uh, we we were living in Leeds. And I ended up teaching. I don't know how I ever ended up teaching because um, I never studied to teach, and I never studied the subject. I did teach, but in those days were desperate for anybody. And uh, I ended up teaching. And as some of you know, I taught in Batley for eight years. But even that is very interesting. Um, I only went as a temporary fill-in job because actually I got a job in the civil service I was going to, and, um, but it didn't come through quickly. And I, somebody pointed out this advertisement and I thought, well, maybe I could go just as a temp and see if they'll take me. And um, we went one week's notice either way. They'd get rid of me in a week or I'd give my notice in a week. And after five weeks, I handed in my notice and said, I'm going to this other job. Well, the next day, I walked into the school assembly, 1,320 boys, 60-odd staff, emphasis on the word odd, 60-odd staff, and there they all were, and um, uh, the head of RE just said to me, Roger, you know that you're down to, to the assembly this morning? I said, oh, I didn't know that. I had no idea. Yeah, they were notices, but I was new. I'd know. They, he said, oh, do you not want to do it? And I said, oh, no, no, I'd love to do it, please. (laughs) And um, there were 25-minute assemblies in those days. And all the staff there. And I was leaving in four days. Well, what would you do if you were me? I stood up, and I just spoke about Jesus. And um, a third of the boys in those days were Muslims. Nowadays, it's about 95% of Muslims in that school. But a third of the boys were Muslims. And I really just taught, preached the gospel. And I prayed and I sat down and the headmaster stood up and he gave his notices. And then in front of the whole school, this is what he did. So I followed him out and went into his study. Well, he couldn't cane me. Of course, in those days, we did have corporal punishment, but he couldn't cane me. I was a teacher. In fact, the headmaster's nickname was Instant Whip, but that's a different matter. And um, and, uh uh, he sat me down and this is what he said now don't I'm not blowing my own trumpet because I'll put a different spin on it in a minute he said Roger that was excellent he said would you not stay on as a full-time teacher well I think he was flattering me really to persuade me to stay on because <laughs> he didn't really believe it was excellent I'm sure but um I said, well, I'll think and I'll pray about it. And I went away and I thought, hmm, nine to four is not bad. And six weeks summer holiday, could do beach missions. And I thought, oh, yes. This is and so I ended up teaching. I taught for thir- uh, sorry for el- um, 11 years, eight years in Batley, and then three years at Wycliffe Mountain, Cleckheaton. Some of you know that school. But over that period, I found increasingly Um, I was going out and about, speaking, sharing the gospel to those who are not Christians. And uh, I was running a young life group in Garforth in those days as well. I was doing beach missions, etc. And inwardly, in my heart, there was a growing desire to give my life to just preaching the gospel. I had marvellous opportunities at school. In fact, sometimes I think they were better than some of the ones I get nowadays, But um, it's cutting a long story short. I applied for various jobs and nothing ever seemed to be quite right. And I thought, I'm convinced God wants me to work as an evangelist. And so eventually I went to the headmaster, knocked on his door, and I said, Mr. Hattersley, I'm handing in my notice. He said, oh, I didn't know you were looking for another job. So I told him I was going to work as an evangelist, traveling and preaching the gospel. And he just said, Roger, you are married with four children. I I was aware of that, actually. And he said, you got a house and a car. He said, how are you going to live? I said, I really do believe the Lord will look after me. And he said, will you go and see the Bishop of Wakefield? I said, I'll go and see anybody, but I am leaving. And you know, when I walked across the the headmaster's study floor, I, I felt then what John Bunyan has for somebody becoming a Christian. I felt a huge burden. Had gone from me. I really did. And yeah, it's 36 years ago now, I launched out as a traveling preacher. And um, um, there are tremendous joys. You know, I've never got over the privilege of being able to talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus. I just think it's amazing. It really is. And to share the most wonderful message in the world, that somebody can be forgiven, they can be made right with God, that he can change their lives and bring them into a relationship with God that lasts for eternity. I, I love that. Are there disadvantages? Yeah, there are disadvantages. I, you know, 30 weeks of every year, I'm away from home. And then even when I am at home, I'm often away for a, a day or so. You know, that, that's not easy. And to have your children grow up and, and then you look back and think, oh, wow, I wasn't really around when they were growing up. That hurts. It pains me. It can really upset me at times. And, um, uh, phew. That's a disadvantage, and then how do you live? I live on junk food, you know. I, I, I'm a type one diabetic, so I don't think I'm. Um, I don't think I've ever you know, wrecked myself with sugar, because um, you know sugar just doesn't play a part in my life, really. But fat. Oh, I love that. Uh, McDonald's and KFC and fish and chips. I live in Horsforth, population 18,000. We have seven fish and chip shops. Can you believe it? And uh, I, I just love that sort of thing. I'll tell you what happened. Uh, I was speaking in May at a conference in Leicester. And a month or so later, a Christian newspaper reported the conference. And it had a, a photo of me preaching And I looked at it and I thought, Roger Carswell, you are gross. And I thought, I've got to do something. And I asked my doctor, I said, doctor, what do you recommend? And she said, Slimming World. Go to Slimming World. Well, um you'll have to encourage me then. I've been going now for 11 weeks and I've lost a stone and a half. And uh, thank you. <laughs> it's amazing, but you come really you become very self-righteous and smug don't you? You look at everyone and like, "Ooh, you should just go to Slimming World." <laughs> so I won't be joining you for pie and peas, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. That <laughs> I'd love to, but um and uh, yeah, yeah. I look back and God has been very, very gracious. He's provided for me. On, on financial issues, we have had the most amazing answers to prayer when we've had nothing and then the right amount has come. And you think, this is just incredible. You know, we needed so much. Oh, spot on. just the And nobody knew we needed that. And we've, we've found the most amazing answers to prayer. We found that at times God has intervened, sometimes not quite in the way we expected. But you have, you know, children become teenagers and not all teenagers are easy, are they? And, and sometimes it's not just rebellion, but one of our sons went out with a girl for 18 months, or maybe it was two years, he bought an engagement ring, he was about to propose, and then she jilted him. And what, that just devastated him. And for a year, really, we were trying to hang on to him, fearful that he'd take his life. And uh, Amazing. These things happen, don't they, in life? I was preaching in Romania, Ceausescu's Romania. So uh, Mike Pollard, some of you remember him, had helped to sort things out. And I was there preaching the gospel, an incredibly difficult communist totalitarian regime. I'd been there for 10 days, and uh, I hadn't yet phoned home. And I had a code language because... Phones, phone calls were meant to be listened into. I was with a friend. The two of us queued for five hours to make one phone call. <laughs> and you phone up. And uh, I just said to Dot, I'd get in the code language. I said, I'm all right. And then this is what happened. I'll never forget this. And Dot, how are you? Roger, they have diagnosed that I've got cancer. I'm going for surgery tomorrow. Whew, that was a blow. There was no way I could come out early. And so, yeah, she was in hospital, etc. And um, praise the Lord, you know, she's, she, she recovered from it. But it was major, major surgery. Things like that happen. But I can testify with all sincerity, God has never, never, never been a disappointment. God has never let me down. There are things I do not understand at all. I watched the film the other day on television, 12-Year Slave, and I felt, this is just dreadful. And there were, no doubt, it didn't say there were believers, but there would have been believers being brutalised like this as well. And maybe even Christians doing it, I don't know. And you think, Lord, how can this be? And then my mother and the, the genocide, and then they, things we're remembering this coming week. I read the book Passchendaele earlier this year. Half a million men died in the most dreadful way over Passchendaele. And Britain won, and the Allies won. And three weeks later, we gave all that we gained over to the Germans. I thought, we're crazy. And I am bewildered. And there's less and less that I'm certain of, I've got to say. But I am absolutely certain there is a God who has seen us rebel against him, but has loved us. I believe he loves everyone. It's very common these days to believe, oh, God only loves certain people and Jesus only died for certain people. The Bible never teaches that. He's a propitiation for our sins, but not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. I believe God loves everyone and wants everyone to be saved. I'm certain as well that whoever we are, if we come to him, he hears, he answers, and he works, and he is in control and he will come back as Lord and King. Of those things I'm certain. Loads of other things I'm not certain. I've got views of course. Brexit for example. I strongly believe that. Anyway it doesn't matter. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, of, of the fact that God loved us. Jesus died for us. And rose from the dead. And he's willing to forgive us. I am certain of. My time's gone. I said I'd like to close with a prayer. Very similar to the one that I prayed. And if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I really would encourage you to pray this prayer with me. And if you do, I'll be by the books, of course, but just say, Roger, I prayed that prayer. I have something I'd love to give just to you called Trusting Christ, which has in it the prayer and some tips about living for the Lord Jesus day by day. My uncle said to me, Roger, he said, every day have a place where you'll meet with God at a certain time where you'll read the Bible and pray. And then he said, Never keep God waiting. I, I've never quite kept to that. But do you know, I've sought to cultivate the relationship with the Lord by reading the Bible and praying and sharing Christ. And as over the years, I can say, He's become more precious, more wonderful to me. And I really do commend Him to you, not just for life, but for all eternity. So, a prayer, dear God thank you that you love us as individuals but I want you please to forgive me I thank you that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead please become my Lord, my Saviour and from this day on help me to follow you for I pray in Jesus name Amen Amen. Amen. Don't forget, if you prayed with me, do say so, but do pick up a copy of this autobiography. Thank you.